Hello everyone and welcome to the first show in the series. We're going to kick things off today with one of our favorite brands. I mean, they're all our favorites, but La Hintaga, come on. Who would have thought that you can upcycle Christmas trees into tonic soda? Wow. And not only that, the thing tastes absolutely amazing. So we sat down today with Tamo, who's one of the co-founders, and he's going to take us through everything from where they started, how they came up with the idea and where they're going now. So without further ado, here we go. Tamo, thank you very much for joining us. It's really great to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you came up with the idea for Estonic? I mean, the idea, basically, the whole company was born about five years ago when my wife, uh, our head distiller, came up with the idea to create Lahentake. And we first came to the market with a gin, the actual alcoholic gin, done more of the, I would say, the more Dutch style than the English style with a bit of more taste than the typical English gins. But, uh, but then... Uh, we, we basically, after we brought the gin to the market, we had a challenge that uh, it didn't really fit perfectly with uh, too many classical tonic waters, which were available in Estonia at the time. I'd have to say the availability of tonics in Estonia four years ago was quite limited. So we thought that what could be the solution? And uh, the first real idea she came up with was, uh, let's put together the Kind of combine the tastes of spruce and cardamom. So in summer of 2018, we introduced uh, the spruce and cardamom tonic water. I mean, no rocket science, it's based basically on the infusion of the nice combination of the tastes and then it's uh, carbonated and so on. But the uh, in the fall, when we were face, basically facing the, we were producing the batch two, three or four, I don't remember exactly, she was thinking that should we go to the forest, you know, to go into the snow, I don't know, two feet deep or something like that to cut some branches of the spruce trees? And she was walking through that local town called Kuressare, the capital of the island here, uh, and saw that they were about to put up the Christmas tree there in the central square. And she basically put one and one together that, you know, probably they don't do much with the tree after it's there. Uh, so we talked with a town maybe a few days after that, after she had the idea and uh, it took two more days when the city people were saying that, of course, no problem, let's go ahead with this project, no question whatsoever. So we've been now doing it for free Christmas. That's brilliant. I mean, I love how the story kind of starts somewhere completely different. You start with the gin, you're trying to match a tonic to it, uh, and then you obviously get to making a tonic, and then that step leads you to upcycling the Christmas trees and, and making S tonic what it is today. I mean, I think, I think that's just a beautiful story. Now, do you find that some of the different Christmas trees have different tastes, or is it kind of similar across most of them? <laughs> I mean, the spruce trees in general are... By, from the taste perspective, relatively similar, but of course the uh, you know there's a bunch of different evergreens. I've learned some of the English words over the last few years. Uh, I mean, you kind of know what is spruce and um, you know what is pine with a little bit longer needles, right? But uh, we've now used about ten different city Christmas trees, 
mostly from Estonia, but also a couple from Finland and one from Latvia. And uh, and the um, the most unique one was uh, silver fir, which is um, not that common in Estonia. It's also with a with the longer needles, but the needles are also what is it, a bit flat, and it has a really citrusy taste. So eventually, we ended up making a oh, sorry. Eventually, we ended up making a different recipe for that Christmas tree. I mean, most of the others are, are similar or very similar. The, um, the the local pride is probably the biggest difference between the different towns. And it's it's interesting how, how in in Estonia, for example, the Christmas trees uh, in some towns have become political. We were <laughs> we were actually picking up two different Christmas trees from the town called Rockvere, which is in the northern Estonia. And as uh, one, one Christmas tree, uh, I don't know, owner was giving some of the gains to the local LGBT festival, uh, then the, the other part of the town, the more conservatives, had to put up their own tree. So we actually put, picked up two different trees from that town. One is a bit more left-leaning, the other one is a bit more right-leaning. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't really expecting to hear that, to be honest. Uh, I didn't realize that we'd have political uh, Christmas trees. Um, but I guess the silver lining is that you picked up two trees, uh, and that means more upcycling. Uh, so fantastic. I mean, I mean, that's great. Now, you mentioned you've, all, uh, you've picked up trees from different cities. Helsinki, obviously, uh, your own hometown uh, in, in Kurosara. Um, have you pick, is the plan to go out and kind of get trees from all over Europe? What are you kind of thinking about doing in the future? Uh, I mean, there is, there is a bit of a challenge that, uh, you know, one, because of Corona, you can't really travel to go and pick up those trees. The other challenge is, of course, I mean, there are solutions like with the Latvian tree. Actually, it was mailed to us. We have a, have a colleague in Latvia who's uh, our kind of brand ambassador in Latvia. He went to the city when they were taking it down, boxed most of the tree and sent those boxes with a local cargo bus delivery to us. It was, you know, rather efficient, much, much cheaper than actually to go there ourselves. Um, but I think the idea, kind of the bigger idea is that we could uh, go with a concept to different towns, like to work with the local breweries or some small drinks makers in different countries. And, you know, we are happy to bottle every single European Christmas tree. I mean, it's totally doable. I would absolutely love to see that. And I can totally see that concept coming off really well. Uh, that, I mean, that would be amazing exactly. if you can if you can do that. Uh, obviously, we would love to, absolutely love to stock those Astonic bottles for sure. Um, but obviously, I mean, we've spoken a lot about Astonic so far. Lahentaga is a brand of a lot more product as well. Uh, and obviously, we've got the non-alcoholic gin uh, on Marvels. So tell us a little bit more about the brand as a whole. I mean, the brand uh, roots are here in the village where I'm physically at the moment, kind of beyond the network, really in the outskirts of the of the world. It's the island of Saaremaa in the middle of the Baltic Sea, Estonia's biggest island. Um, the uh, called also in some historic book Ultima Tula, the the end of the world or something like that. Um, but physically, it often feels like that also. 
we have a flight connection to the mainland and we can uh, get a ferry to the mainland regularly but but still it's quite far from the from the big world i would say um and the uh, lahetake is the historic name of our village here in estonian it's lahetakuse but it was written to the maps uh, by germans hundreds and hundreds of years ago as lahetake before us it was known only because of the guy who founded one of the continents was born here, Fabian Gottlieb von Bellingshausen, who was the um, admiral of uh, Tsar uh, Navy, uh, found the Antarctica in 1820. I mean, you guys have Cook and um, Columbus belongs to somebody in the southern Europe, but that's pretty much it. There is not, uh, nobody else can really claim in the world that uh, they have somebody who found the continent born there. Yeah, but uh, to be honest, when we started to go with our drink to the world and said that we're coming from the village of Lahentake, where the guy was born who found, the, found one of the continents, let's say in the drinks industry, nobody really cared. Uh, what they cared about is the local herbs. We're actually picking the local herbs from the nature here. Like um, for us, the first product was gin because of the fact that... Uh, half of the island, it feels like half of the island is covered with juniper trees. So we thought that, you know, nobody's really using Nordic juniper berries. Why don't we do something about it? And uh, that was the reason why we started from the gin, even though at that point, uh, gin, there were some big companies in Estonia making gin, but the craft gin movement hadn't really reached uh, this part of the world at that point. The uh, we started from that, and then we brought to the market have brought to the market three different kinds of tonic waters, all related to the evergreens, and uh, then the last two three products have been uh, non-alcoholic uh, spirits, which also you guys sell a couple of them at least, flaneur and flaneurs, which have got their name from French uh, aristocracy, where the wanderers of the you know, 19th, 19th or 18th uh, century societies from the streets of uh, Paris and uh, the towns of France. Um, and then we have uh, one separate cocktail, kind of ready-made cocktails, or cocktail also bottled, which uh, won one of the big, uh, as I like to call it, the last cocktail competition of our time. It was, he it was, held, in, it was held in March uh, 2020 in New York. So at the plane back from the from the competition, there was actually like two people crossing the Atlantic Ocean or something on, on, on a kind of cross-Atlantic flight because because of the corona, most of the tra traveling had been already stopped. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, absolutely crazy times, especially right before uh, half of the world went into lockdown and was kind of realizing what was going on. Um, but it was at that New York competition that the Spirits won an award at. I mean, they have won different awards in uh, different uh, kind of international drinks competitions. Uh, we're mo we are the most proud, probably, for the Flaneurs uh, silver medal at the International Wine and Spirits competition from the last fall. Uh, but uh, there are a few others also, and there are a few coming within a week. Oh, fantastic. I mean, definitely then by the time that this podcast is released, we'll all be treated to some of the awards. That's fantastic news. Uh, super happy to hear that, actually. Now, Tom, what if we take a little bit of a step back and, 
you know, just think about how has it been setting up a completely new drinks brand? Uh, how, how has that experience been for you guys? It's been uh, quite challenging, I would say. We have been, uh, let's say, as we have been focused on uh, things which are not really mainstream, this has helped us to kind of find the you know, more edgy consumers who are interested in something uh, different, which has definitely helped to spread the word about the products. Um, neither of us had any background in the drinks industry, which was a bit of a challenge, of course. <laughs> um, had something to do with entrepreneurship and uh, had built uh, had built one magazine before, for example. But uh, all this, of course, helped. But the, in general, oh, quite a challenge. At the same time, you know, I think the island is the right place to do something like this. There's a lot of entrepreneurial people here. We have probably... I don't know, feels like a dozen different small drinks companies on the island doing uh, different drinks. So it's somehow logical. That makes sense. And I think that's really cool that you've kind of got this community around you on this island full of entrepreneurs. Um, but I guess what were the kind of really key challenges that you faced during the process? I, I think the dist today what I'm feeling the most is the distance. That, you know, I would actually like to go and visit uh, clients in Prague, for example, but um, it's probably a bit too more, <laughs> too much of a hassle to actually organize it. We we are try we have signed up to take part in a trade fair in China in May, which is um, we will be organizing somehow remotely eventually the attendance. The uh, and of course, with all the big markets, the amount of paperwork you have to deal with for a small company is just absurd. The uh, I'm, I'm kind of saying, thank God for the EU, we can operate in Europe pretty nicely. I mean, we started sales in Sweden. It was you know like no brainer. Fill fill in some boxes here, there, and uh, send send some letter somewhere. That's done. It's like. No, no rocket science, really. But at the same time, this China exercise, you know, we have had one guy working for weeks and just paperwork. It's just crazy. Oh, my goodness. I mean, paperwork is not really anyone's definition of making the most of their time. So, no, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not great at all. Um, but I think what I really like is that, you know, you've got good coverage in Europe. You're in quite a few countries. Obviously, we stock you in the UK. And now you're kind of looking at that next step. And China seems to be uh, at least the first country that you're looking at outside of Europe. And I think that's that's super cool. I mean, I would be, uh, let's say that China was kind of, um, uh, as they say, the moonshots, right? They we were. It wasn't really in the near-term business plan, but when the opportunity arises, as a small company, you kind of jump on the on the case and try to make the best out of it. Uh, honestly, you know, focus is really kind of closer to home. I'm trying to spend my time on working with Latvia and Sweden and Finland and and the you know the places near Estonia, uh, and then expand really to Europe. Even though we have we are with you guys in the UK. We are, have been in France in some of the most prominent places there, working with Italy at the moment. Uh, and, you know, in Prague, we are quite reasonable uh, 
kind of presenta presentation or the reach already. So step-by-step -step growing there or a small enterprise. For sure, for sure. Definitely, uh, fingers crossed that it keeps on expanding the way it has been. Now, Tamo, one of the things I really love about you guys is you do your own production. You have your own facility on the island and you haven't kind of given away the soul of the company. You have complete control over that. Now, tell us a little bit more about your production. Mm, we try, actually try to even more work on this. I mean, we when we when we launched, we originally had the idea that why can't why can't you do a drinks company like Taxify? I mean, you do have a company, but it's everywhere, and more, you know the classical story of the Airbnb owns no apartments, and uh, and the whatever the Booking.com owns no hotels, and uh, Taxify owns no taxis, and so on. If you create something cool, you know why can't it be kind of totally independent of location. But of course, we quickly understood that that's not the case. You can't really do it that way. So we're actually even building our small own small factory. So far, we have, we have rented the premises. But now, just before this uh, interview, I actually came from the, from the building site to see how the concrete wall was done. And, and so we're kind of uh, settling in nicely, step by step. I mean, that's amazing. I mean to go from having never worked in the drinks industry before to now you know watching the walls come up on your own factory on on the island that's that's just beautiful uh, that's fantastic really credit to yourself and and Marit. Uh, fantastic stuff um if we look into the future now tamo like what is you know what is the grand vision what are the next steps that you guys have coming up uh, the big vision uh, the i think the next next steps one part of it is the topic you, talk, you kind of touched up and to keep the, the soul close to the island or close to the ground on the island. So in the short term, our main focus is to kind of build out our own production base, uh, build out our own uh, tasting room next to it, to kind of have, have that um, kind of combination together and, you know, greet all the visitors from... Uh, probably this summer from the close by, next summer, I hope, from the further away. Uh, and, and the other side is that, you know, to focus on the markets nearby to uh, actually expand in Latvia significantly. It's a tiny market, but it's, it's a neighboring country and it's bigger than Estonia. So, you know, one plus one, right? Uh, and and, and uh, then the, the kind of across the sea from here, Sweden, it's uh, just just about 100 miles from here to Sweden. Uh, but the, uh, it's, I don't know, 10 times bigger, the nation, nation and the, I don't know how many tenfolds bigger economies. So there's like room to, a lot of room to grow in the neighboring countries. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I really hope that plan comes together as it has been so far. And once you have a tasting room, I mean, I would absolutely love to visit anyway, but uh, that just gives us another reason uh, to come along. Absolutely, you're, you're all welcome. I'm not going to promise to accommodate everybody, but <laughs> you're all welcome. <laughs> I mean, we can always get an Airbnb uh, or even a booking.com or something. Yeah, <laughs> I really, really appreciate that. Now, Tamo, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice just before you're about to start this journey, what would it be? You know, what would you tell an aspiring entrepreneur who's about to go on a similar journey to you? Uh, I mean, if you haven't done anything uh, related to the entrepreneurship, 
I would recommend them to go first to some hackathon to build something over a weekend to understand the emotion and uh, understand the process. Uh, the, uh, that's probably one, maybe the first thing. The second one is probably to figure out uh, the customer side. Actually, I mean, it's really cool to do something which you want to do and which has a mission and so on. But if there is no one to buy it and you have no idea how the buying process works, then you're kind of uh, between the rock and the hard place or all the other kind of uh, non-printable you know, expressions. Uh, so I think in, gen in general, sorting out the, uh, the actual buyer and uh, how to reach that buyer, that's a really good first step because uh, you know, anybody can build products and you know, if you don't know how to make something, you can first hire somebody to do it for you and, and outsource production or whatever. But you know, to actually create a business, you need a buyer. Somebody needs to pay for it, so obviously. And I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because a lot of the time it's easy to think that you know who the customer is, but actually, I guess, you know, for example, in your case, uh, your customer is actually the bar or the, the bar owner rather than necessarily the end customer. I mean, obviously, the, the end customer matters, but you're selling to the bar. Bar owner or the retail ch chain kind of acquisition chef or somebody. The uh, But the... Um what I was thinking, the, the kind of the, the... The world has changed a lot, that's true. But there are still things which are actually physical. I mean, I think, I think the beauty of anything digital is the fact that actually anybody from anywhere can buy this digital thing. But digitally, nobody, there's like no delivery costs and nobody needs to actually take something somewhere. Compared to their physical products, like you know, actually doing magazines, you know, I've been going around the trade fairs with a backpack full of magazines and being relatively tired in the end, right? The uh, same thing with actual bottles. You actually need to carry them. There's actually shipping them around and getting the bottles shipped to Estonia, filling them here and shipped somewhere, maybe back to the same country where the bottles came from. It's there. There's a lot of logistics involved, and. Uh, and if you want to build a if you want to build a startup, I think logistics sector is one where there's so much to do. <laughs> we can definitely agree with you. Now, one other thing I wanted to say, Tomo, is that this Christmas we are going to aim no promises, but we're going to aim to send you the Christmas tree from our local town. Uh, so, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yes. Absolutely. I think the main challenge is that you don't take the tree from home, which has dried. That's the reason why we have used the city Christmas trees. They usually stand; in, they are big and they usually stand outside for a couple of months. Uh, and in our kind of northern hemisphere, it's actually also so cold; they, they basically stand in a freezer outside. It's it's we call, we call it the raw material storage in the city square, uh, but the. Uh, but that's the so you know if if your Christmas tree is outside that would be great and the bigger it is the better it is you don't have to send everything just the branches please right okay okay got you got you that's all clear uh, we'll definitely keep that in mind this Christmas uh, we'll remember that along with everything else awesome 
Now, Tomo, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We cannot wait to see Estonic all over Europe. We cannot wait to see your spirits all over Europe as well. And one day we will definitely be visiting you on the island. Thank you so much for joining us. We wish you and Marit the best. Uh, thank you. Thank you.